Thank you for joining me in part two of our study of Daniel's 70 Weeks, the chronological key to world history. I'm Robert Congdon, director of CMI-TV. Now in part one, we considered Daniel's chapter 9's description of a 70-week, or as we showed, a 77's period of history in God's plan for Israel. In verse 24 of chapter 9, we saw six purposes for this time in Israel's history that included the coming of the Messiah to the earth. Recognizing the significance of this passage, we need to determine what Daniel means by 70 weeks. In part one, we determined that the start of the 77s occurred with the decree of Artaxerxes in 445 BC. We further concluded that most likely the sevens represent seven years for each prophetic week of Daniel. In part two, we'll show how the 69 sevens, or 483 years, brings us to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ's death in Jerusalem. Before we can do that, we must first confirm Daniel's prophetic use of weeks as being defined as a seven-year period of time. Please join me as I offer you a biblical proof of this conclusion. The flood defines the length of a month. Key to understanding Israel's future history based on Daniel's prophecy of chapter 9 verses 24 to 27 begins with a determination of how many days are a biblical month and knowing that, we can determine if 483 years brings us to the death of the Lord. I believe there are three passages that enable us to determine the length of a biblical month. The first passage that allows us to determine that length is found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and its record of the flood that is recorded in chapters 7 and 8. Genesis 7 verse 24 tells us that the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Now this word prevailed is very important. Prevailed is defined in the original language to mean to be strong, to have strength, to be mighty, and also includes the idea of a rising or a lifting up. Therefore, this gives us and shows us the picture of the water rising up, having the strength to do it, and to float the heavy ark for 150 days. Consequently, we see that this verse tells us the ark was afloat on the water for 150 days. Now, if we go to verse 11 of Genesis 7, it will give us and tell us the start of that prevailing. We read, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. Now in chapter 8, verse 4, we're going to find the day that the ark came to rest upon the ground. In other words, the water no longer supported it. For we read in verse 4, the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. Thus, we know the start date, the length of time the ark was afloat, 
and the end date. Thus we can calculate a biblical length of a month. Therefore the mathematics are the start of the flood, 17th day of the second month. The ark rested, 17th day of the seventh month. The time afloat was 150 days, and if we take the second month to the seventh month, it turns out that 150 days is five months. So 150 days divided by five months gives us 30 days per month. So at the very beginning of the Bible, we are told a biblical month was 30 days long. The book of Revelation defines the length of a month. The second passage that allows us to determine the length of a biblical month is found in Matthew's Gospel account of the Olivet Discourse. There in Matthew 24, verses 15 and 16, we read of Christ's warning and command given to the people that will be living during the seven-year tribulation. For we read, beginning in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. In verse 21 of the same chapter, Christ indicates that the flight is at the start of the Great Tribulation. This is a time recognized by Bible students as the second half of the Tribulation. Notice very carefully here how the Lord intends for us to link Daniel's prophecy to this event. In fact, he even says, Whoso readeth, let him understand. When we do, we find it is in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that the Lord referred to on that Mount of Olivet. We read in verse 27 of Daniel 9, And he, now that's the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, or one seven, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. Here we learn that a covenant issued by the Antichrist will initiate the seven-year tribulation by allowing Israel to offer sacrifices and oblations, that's, that's offerings, at the future temple for one week or a period of seven. Then we note, but in the midst of the week, that's the midpoint of the week, the Antichrist shall declare the covenant null and void, thereby taking control of the temple. Combining these two passages, Matthew and Daniel, we see that the stoppage of sacrifices and oblations, combined with the overspreading of abominations, initiates the severe persecution, the great tribulation, at the midpoint of the seven. This persecution will continue until the consummation or the end, not only of the tribulation, but the end of Daniel's 70 weeks or 77s. Therefore, we can put a sequence of the events together here. Number one, a covenant is made by the Antichrist for one week or seven. That's the tribulation, Daniel 9.27. Number two, 
at the midpoint of the seven, the covenant is broken by the Antichrist. Number three, Bible-obedient Jews living at that time of the Antichrist are to flee to the mountains or wilderness from that point until the end of the seven at the consummation. Keeping this event in mind, now turn to Revelation 12, verse 6, where John is going to describe this very same flight that Israel must take. We read in that verse, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Crucial to understanding this prophecy is to identify the woman of Revelation 12. In my videos on the campaign of Armageddon, specifically Israel waits at Petra, I carefully show that the woman is the nation of Israel. For John tells us that she is a symbol. That symbol is the symbol of the nation of Israel. In verse 7 we read, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. Now the Lord wants us to be clear who the great dragon is, so we don't misunderstand. And so he says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Thus, Satan now is cast out of heaven along with all his angels that followed him in rebellion. Now upon the earth, after being cast out of heaven, Satan begins the greatest persecution of the Jewish people in history. Verse 13 tells us, And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. The man-child was Jesus Christ. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place. That's the place God prepared for her to protect her where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. You see, Satan's anger is great. He no longer has access to heaven. He's on the earth. And according to verse 12, we find out that he knows, he knows his time is short. In other words, his freedom to act out and rebel against God is a very limited time that is left. So therefore, he pursues her to destroy her. You see, if Satan can destroy Israel, he can prevent the Messiah from coming back to the earth, restoring the kingdom. And if Christ can't restore his kingdom on earth, Satan can continue his kingdom. So this is a last-ditch effort by Satan to try to stop the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see in this verse that God will protect the obedient Jews that left Judea and fled to the wilderness during the last half of the tribulation. Now, for those Jews who do not obey the Lord's command of Matthew 24, Daniel 7 verse 25 tells us they will suffer under the Antichrist and Satan's wrath after he's brought down to the earth. We read, 
and he, the Antichrist, shall speak great words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. And they, this is the disobedient Jews, they shall be given into his hands until a time and times and the dividing of time. This expression, a time and times and the dividing of time, is the same as that noted by John back in Revelation 12:13. In order to understand this apparently cryptic phrase, we need to understand the Aramaic mathematical expression that is used here. Clearly, time is a single unit. When we compare the passage in John and the passage in Daniel, we see that the dividing of time equals half a time, for one speaks of dividing of time and the other says half a time. This leaves us with the need to figure out times in terms of units. Historical studies indicate times means two units. Therefore, we have the phrase used by Daniel and by John in Revelation as a unit and two units and half a unit, which equals three and one-half units. Again, from John, we know this same period of time will be 1,260 days. So 1,260 days divided by three and a half gives us 360 days per unit. Astronomy tells us that the lunar year is 29.53 days, which leads us to the conclusion that the time is a year and the tribulation will be seven years. It would be wonderful just to say that this unit is one biblical year and, of course, then 12 months in a year gives us a 30-day month. But as good Bereans, we need to search the scriptures to be exact. Confirmation of this assumption is found in our third passage relating to the time. So we can now modify our summary as follows. Number one, a covenant is made by the Antichrist for one week or one seven. That's the tribulation. Number two, at the midpoint of that week, the covenant is broken by the Antichrist. Three, Bible obedient Jews will flee to the mountains or wilderness from that point until the end of the week. Four, one half of the week is 1,260 days or a unit of time of three and a half years and a biblical month would then be 30 days. The third passage that allows us to determine or confirm the length of a biblical month is found in Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. You see, at the beginning of the tribulation and continuing to its midpoint, God sends two witnesses or evangelists to proclaim the gospel, and in doing that, they will make 144,000 disciples for him in Israel. These two witnesses are miraculously protected by God until the midpoint of the tribulation, when God then allows them to be killed, and after three and a half days later, God will raise them from the dead in making it visible to the whole world. 
You can find that in verses 7 through 11 of chapter 11. John defines their ministry, and importantly, its duration, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, where we read, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. In the context of this ministry, John tells of a vision. He says in verses 1 and 2, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not. For it, that's the court now, is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under foot forty and two months. Obviously, we must first determine if these 42 months occur in the first half of Daniel's seventh week or in the last half. Supporting the first half of the tribulation, I would note that in verse 1, the Gentiles are excluded from the inner court of the temple. Apparently, the reason for this is the temple is called the temple of God and contains the altar where worship takes place by the Jewish people. Since the covenant permitted these activities only in the first half of the tribulation, the 42 months must be in the first half during which the two witnesses also had their ministry. We can now calculate how many days is a biblical month by taking the 42 months of verses 1 and 2 in Revelation 11 and equating it to the 1,260 days of verse 3. Dividing 1,260 days by 42 months gives us a biblical month of 30 days. We can now conclude that 1. A covenant will be made by the Antichrist that will be for one week or one seven, or seven years. 2. At the midpoint of this time, the covenant will be broken by the Antichrist. 3. Bible-obedient Jews will flee to the mountains, wilderness, from that point until the end of the seven years. 4. Daniel's and John's time and times in the dividing of times is one year plus two years plus half a year, equaling three and a half year time period. 5. A biblical month is 30 days long, and there are 12 such months in a biblical year. For in the scriptures we find that God outlines months 1 to 12, but never a 13th month. So God's year is 12 months, and Ezekiel 32.1 is a good example of this. 6. We conclude the start of the tribulation to the consummation or the end of War of Desolations, Daniel 9, 26, and 27, will be seven years, or one Daniel 7, or one Daniel week, and the 70 weeks, or 77s, will be 490 years. I believe we can safely say now that by comparing Scripture to Scripture through the writings of Moses, Daniel, Matthew, and John, gives us these results and allows us to now determine on what day did Jesus Christ the Messiah 
come to Jerusalem and fulfill the 69 weeks of Daniel 9.24. The day the Messiah comes to Jerusalem. Based upon our conclusions, we're now able to start with the date of Artaxerxes' decree of 14 March 445 BC and calculate to the day that the Messiah will fulfill the prophecy in Jerusalem. Our mathematics begins with Daniel 9.25 where we read, From the going forth of the commandment, that's Artaxerxes' decree, unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Now, don't get concerned over the mathematics we're going to look at. I'm going to take it very slowly. And also, even if you don't follow the mathematics, I want you to understand what they will demonstrate to us about our God. So, we're going to start now. The total time is seven weeks plus 60 weeks plus two weeks from Daniel 9.25, giving us a total of 69 prophetic weeks or prophetic sevens. Since we have determined that one prophetic seven equals seven years, we know that 69 prophetic sevens multiplied times seven years equals 483 years between the start of the prophecy, that's Artaxerxes' decree, to the cutting off of the Messiah in Daniel 9.26. Now, taking it further, we have 483 years times 12 months per biblical year times 30 days per biblical month gives us the figure of 173,880 days. Now is where it gets difficult, and I'm going to try to keep it simple. Hang in there with me. The biblical calendar is based upon the moon. For according to Psalm 104, verse 19, God tells us that he appointed the moon for seasons the sun knoweth his going down. So you see, it's the moon that God gave as really the timekeeper for us. So we have to convert to a solar or secular year to find the date in a way we can understand it. For we keep track of time in our calendars based on the solar or the sun's movements. To do this, we take the 173,800 days and divide it by 365.2425 days per solar year, and we get 476 solar years and 24 days. Now, I'm going to spare you a rather complicated calculation at this point and merely say, I have considered calendar changes, the Julian and the Gregorian, have compensated for leap years over those years, and the need to subtract one year from the time between 1 BC and 1 AD to come to our conclusions. If you're really interested in seeing those actual corrections, contact us and we'll tell you the sources where you can find that. When we do that, in other words, correcting for calendar changes, correcting for leap years, and the correction between 1 BC and 1 AD, we arrive at this result. 
starting with the decree of Artaxerxes, March 14, 445 BC, adding 476 years and 24 solar days, we arrive at April 6th, 32 AD. Now, that tells us the date on our calendar, but we also need to convert this to the Jewish calendar because we're going to find something very important in scriptures. So we convert it to the Jewish calendar for that date in history. April 6, 32 AD was the 10th day of Nisan of year 32 AD. In doing this, we find it's a very significant day in Israel's feast calendar. For on the 10th day of Nisan, the lambs are selected by the people for the sacrifice at the Passover on the 14th day of Nisan. You can find this in Luke 19, verses 28 and 44. You may also want to view our series on the feasts, our video series in which we explain how each feast is significant and the events that happen on those significant dates in those feasts. Knowing our history, Christians call this date in history Palm Sunday, which begins the Passover or Passion Week. In history, it was on this day that the Lord Jesus Christ presented himself to Israel as their king. This is the very same day the people selected their Passover lambs for the coming sacrifice that would occur in less than a week. It was on this day in history that the Lord offered himself as the Passover lamb to be sacrificed, to be cut off, according to Daniel's prophecy, for all mankind's sins, for yours and mine. In Luke Chapter 19, verse 42, we find that the Lord acknowledged that this was the prophesied event of Daniel. For he says, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. This Palm Sunday, this 10th of Nisan, 32 A.D., was the day God fixed in Daniel chapter 9. What did Christ mean by the things which belong unto their peace? That's the promises of Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Notice Christ's tragic statement, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation, in verse 44. They didn't know this was the prophesied day of God visiting Israel to bring them redemption and the kingdom. Now, I know I've presented a very detailed and exacting calculation of this moment of history. You may not have followed all the mathematics or the logic, but this one thing we can understand. God planned history. God carries out his prophecy exactly to the day. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we might have eternal life. Israel failed to recognize that he had fulfilled Daniel's great prophecy to the very day. But after watching this, 
you can recognize that Christ's death was for you and for me, sinners needing a sacrifice lamb to take our place on the cross. And that all began on that Palm Sunday as Jesus Christ presented himself in fulfillment of Daniel 9. Now, as we've studied this very complex and interesting prophecy of Daniel, we see a demonstration of God's love for us. We should stand in awe as we consider the Most High God, the Creator, who could devise the plan that satisfied God's payment for sins and opened to us His fellowship. Through this prophecy, we see that only the true and living God can and does know the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. Isaiah 46.10 It is my prayer that you know this Almighty God, who can bring things to pass within a week of what he promised to do hundreds of years before, because that's the same Almighty God that offers to you salvation through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can be your Savior and your Lord. Please contact us if you would like to know how you can see in the scriptures how this same God has laid out for you how you can receive him as your Savior and your Lord. Now until our next time together, may the Lord bless you mightily, and I will either see you here or in the air.